Welcome to GOB with Christy and Kathy, where we talk about writing, reading, and life in between. I'm Christy in South Florida. I'm Kathy in South Dakota. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and crime fiction. We have interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors on our Corks and Conversation episodes. And don't forget our Words in Progress episodes where we have fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us for today's episode. Welcome to Corks and Conversation with David Ellis. Oh, I am so excited for this conversation. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Um, Mr. Justice Ellis has written 18 books, uh, eight of which he <laughs> co-authored with James Patterson. We'll get into that as well. Um, and he does all this while being a judge during the day. So pretty impressive. I can't wait to talk to him. I know. I agree. I- um, over the last two decades... New York Times bestselling and award-winning author David Ellis has brought his experience as an attorney and justice of the Illinois Appellate Court to his bold and wildly sharp legal thrillers. Beloved by readers and critics alike, his debut novel, Line of Vision, won the Edgar Award for First Best Novel, which is a big deal, by the way. Um, And then his sixth Mm -hmm. book, The Hidden Man, was a finalist for the LA Times Book Prize. His latest book, which I have here, and I bet Christy does, and I bet um, I bet the Justice does as well, um, called Look Closer. No, he doesn't. <laughs> has come out to rave reviews. And uh, here, I'm going to read one for you from one of my favorite authors, Scott Turow, um, who is the author of Presumed Innocent and The Last Trial. He said, David Ellis's Look Closer is a daring, brilliant thriller full of characters you both love and hate and more unexpected turns than a mountain road at night without your headlights. Tremendous fun, and we could not agree more. So, David, welcome. It's great to have you. Yes, loved it. Christy, Kathy, thank you for having me. Um, it has been so much fun uh, getting back into the writing of my own my own books, my solo books, and happy to talk about that. Uh, but, you know, it came out a couple months ago, and uh, I've been kind of trying to, you know, just enjoy the ride because it's um, it's a slightly different book for me, not a huge departure, but slightly different focus for me. And it's been so fun to see the reaction and I never get tired of talking about it. I, oh. yeah, especially if we're going to involve wine, okay. but I talk about it without wine. Yes. Too. I, yes. It's, uh, it's, it's been, it's been a real whirlwind and it uh, I always say to people, it doesn't get old. I mean, I, this is I what my 20th book or something, but it doesn't matter how many I've done. It's, I still feel like I'm just a little kid every time I, I start over. Oh, that's good to hear. That's Wonderful good to hear. To hear. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Let's get into the wine. And of course we are, we are going to sip some wine here. Um, well, actually, um, uh, David suggested the society of smugglers <laughs> Cabernet Sauvignon. I did. I, I which is a great name. Cool. It's a gray. I know it's a really cool name. It's such a black cover. It's kind of hard to see. Should I like go like this? Like, <laughs> yes, it should. <laughs> so, yeah. so I have to give all credit to Susan, my wife, because I, I'm the guy. If you've seen Sideways, and I'm sure you uh-huh. have, um, I'm the other uh-huh. guy who says that every wine tastes pretty good. Um, I'm not a huge yeah. wine guy, um, but every time my wife cajoles me to try something with her, I always enjoy it. And I've had a, a sip of this one, and it's it's really great. My Ruth Bader Ginsburg glass, she's our hero in my house, in the Ellis house. Yes. Ours, too. Yes, for sure. Ours, Ours too. too. And 
I was going to say, um, Kathy and I are drinking um, slightly different Cabernets because um, Susan has very good taste. She uh, <laughs> it was a little bit out of our $20 price range. And also, it was all sold out. So I was like, oh, wow. So <laughs> so we said, he so can enjoy it because he deserved it. And we're, we'll have our, our cheaper <laughs> cabs, but we'll be just as happy well, because we're a little you. bit like you. Cheers. Here's my review of this. Of this uh, let me give yeah. you my, my, my short review of this one. Okay. <laughs> presents with a modest bouquet. It has a finish that is busy without being precocious. <laughs> I don't know what any of that means. I, I stole that from various sites, but I thought I would try to sound like I'm an, an expert in wine. I, I really just Perfect. think it tastes pretty good. What yeah. is a precocious wine is what I want to know. I want to know what a precocious wine is. You know what? I think I precocious know. wine is when you like, get like bad wine. Like you go to a place that maybe doesn't, you know, when you live in the Midwest, you can travel to places where they will give you wine. It will never be able to compete with, you know, California. No. Right. But it's, 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 Good. And sometimes they try a little too hard and you can kind of taste There you go. The best I can say. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now we're, we're ready for some questions. First, yes. I want to tell everybody a little bit about this book because we did love it. It follows the, the couple Simon and Vicki who are just seemingly a normal Chicago couple. <laughs> um, but when a body of a beautiful socialite is found hanging in a mansion in a nearby suburb, Simon and Vicky's secrets begin to unravel. There's a secret whirlwind affair, a $20 million trust fund about to come due, which I wouldn't mind myself, a decades-long grudge and obsession with revenge. These are just a few of the lies that make up this complex web of this book and it has devastating consequences and we find that both Vicky and Simon are pretty much liars but we just don't know who's conning who so it's it, it I mean it literally I was like trying to figure it out could not all the way till the end you know almost yeah it's uh, there's a lot of deception in the book you know that's a really good description Christy I really struggle to describe this book and you know when I read the reviews on you know Goodreads or Amazon or even the reviews from like, the professionals they'll often say it's hard to describe this book without getting something you know wrong because everything you think you know you it ends up not being true so it's better to go in blind and that's not much of a marketing pitch if you're trying to sell <laughs> this book people go in blind you know <laughs> But the truth is, is it's very hard to give a, a any kind of a summary without something that you're saying ending up not being true. So I right. uh, I struggle. I mean, that was my goal. My goal was to kind of shift the earth on you every 30 or 40 pages all the way till the end. And with a hopefully a surprise you didn't see at the end. You did it. You say that was your goal. Is that what you intended when you went in? You're like, going, I'm just going to write the craziest, zigzaggiest thing I can find. Or did you have a big picture and say... You know, I mean, like, what's your process? How did you figure this one out? <laughs> Great question. This is a different process for this book than I've done in the past. This is the like much like the process I did for my first book, Line of Vision, which was the one that won the Edgar. And when I had no time deadline on me, you know, when I was writing Line of Vision, nobody knew who I was. I was a lawyer. Nobody even knew I was writing a book, much less was anyone waiting for it to come. And I had walked away this time, you know, 
from uh, being a solo writer for a few years. And so I started up during COVID writing this book with a character, Simon. Simon fascinated me and I, he'd been living in my head. So I said, I'm gonna build a story around Simon. But then I also made the decision, which I've never really made before, um, maybe because it was COVID and it was so damn depressing that I wanted a really fun book. Mm -hmm. I wanted one of my goals was this will be fun. And I thought, okay, well, what's fun for me? What do I like to read and what do I like to watch? <laughs> and what I like to watch on the you know, streaming shows is something where every episode you completely switch up something that I had no idea was going to happen. Not just a surprise ending, but surprises all throughout. And I thought I'm going to make a point of doing that because I think that's what people want right now. And that's what I would want to read. I mean, ultimately I try to write what I would want to read. So yeah. And it was, and, you know, it took a lot of time and uh, it, it took me quite a while to write it well over a year. But, you know, uh, a lot of trial and error, you know, a book like this, you change your mind, you go back, you tinker with things. I'm, you know, I know I'm playing a game with you guys, right? I'm playing a game with a, a fun game, a willingly entered into game with the reader. The reader's trying to figure out what I'm doing and I'm trying to fool them. And so the advantage I have is I get to write this however I want, I, in whatever order I want, I get to tweak it as much as I need to. So the, the result is just the reader reads it in the order in which I give it to them, but I've done a lot of tinkering along the way to, to try to get as many advantages as I can in the game, right? Because ultimately it's fun for, I uh -huh. think it's fun for the reader if I can fool you in a fair, a fair way. So, yeah. And I did, that's, that's a good way to describe it was fun. <laughs> yeah. And the ending was, I'm not going to give it away, I promise. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't know, Christy, how you feel or how you feel, David, but I, as a writer, I, sometimes I have to try to shut that part of my brain off when I'm reading your book, because I was like, how did he do this? Like, how did it, you know, how did mm -hmm. the plotting work? And what did he know? Because it's so fun just as a reader to just turn the pages and enjoy that surprise. It's really kind of hard to turn the yeah. thing off the way. And if you guys are writers, yeah. I mean, when I read... <laughs> You know, like you, you, I think Kathy, you were the one who said Scott Turow. No, was it you, Chrissy? Uh -huh. Scott Turow is one of your favorites. Kathy, yeah, she said that. Yeah, I like him too, but <laughs> he uh, is I had my read absolute one L. favorite. Yeah, I, I think I think the guy's amazing. Uh, he's also has to be a very nice man. Uh, very nice man. I've called on him for advice in the past, including when I was getting started. But wow, like when I read a Scott Turow novel, I, I drink it in, but I also sit there and step back as a craftsman, as a fellow writer, saying wow, he did that so effortlessly, or at least he made it seem effortless. Because when you're really good at something, you make it seem effortless, even though, yeah. of course, it, it's anything but effortless, right? And um, mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. it's hard for me watching a show or reading a book to not have that little writer's part of my brain yeah. saying, like, oh, that was a clever idea. That <laughs> yeah. was all by the author. Or I wouldn't mm -hmm. have done that if I were the author. I might have saved this one. Um, are you what you're able, you're saying you're able to sometimes just let that part go and I... just enjoy the ride? I try to, and it's kind of like, um, it's like reverse monkey mind. You know, when you try to calm yourself down, your brain's all, uh, I, I, every time I recognize <laughs> that when I'm reading, cause I literally was trying to picture your office while you're reading, while you were plotting this. So I was like, how do you do that? Like, I know. Cause it is, it's like, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then you, I, plus you're always trying to get ideas too. like, oh, wow, that was great how that happened. I mean, yeah. you know, I don't know. It is hard to turn it off, but it's still you still enjoy it. 
I, yeah. I always say with, with any kind of good art, the, the artist is succeeding if you kind of get lost in it, you know, and I, I feel that way when I'm reading a book, if I'm, if somebody is trying too hard in their, maybe their descriptions are trying to be too yeah. flowery. I, that's like the needle coming off the turntable to use an old person's mm -hmm. expression. <laughs> Young people are like, you know, what's a turntable? What? But, yeah. um, you know, the speech, I'm like, <laughs> it takes me out of the zone and it makes me think, oh, that author is trying to impress me right now and I'm really annoyed by it. So right. that's a fail, right? Uh -huh. That means uh -huh. I'm not lost, but when they do it really well, a Tarot is uh, to me a perfect example of someone who does it really well. I get, I forget that I'm reading a story that someone sat yeah. there with a the computer and and same with a movie, you know, rather than sit there and, and dissect things, I just get lost in it. Yeah. I'm sorry, my uh -huh. dog is sniffing my bottle of wine. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I, I chose my wine today because my dog is also near my desk. You guys, I picked rough day with this little dog on it. Isn't that funny? Aww. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the things that um, Tarot said in his, um, his review is one of the things I wanted to ask you about. He mentioned that you love and hate your characters. And I, um, I wanted to ask you about writing unlikable characters i mean it's not that they were completely unlikable yeah but... you end up liking them but at the same time you're like a lot of the time you're not liking them so i don't yeah. know so That's how a... did you think about that that you really <laughs> oh, yeah. had unlikable oh, yeah. people <laughs> oh, i think you think about that all the time you know <laughs> what i used to tell people about characters like people who want to become writers i would always say it would be great if your character, if the if the reader likes your character, but they at least have to respect your character. If they don't even respect your character, then they are not going to want to spend time with them. Um, some people are really obsessed with having likable characters. I'm obsessed with. I don't know how else to say it, but just being realistic. I mean, who who really is a perfect person? I mean, the, the people that we know that are the sweetest people have plenty of dark thoughts in their head and dark motivations. Some act on them and some don't. Granted, my characters are, are fairly dark, but I, I like to show the flaws. I think that makes them real. And there are some people who don't want that. There are, especially if you're reading a, you know, a beach read, which I always say, if people want to read this as a beach read, go ahead. I think it's maybe could be read more deeply than that, but you could also just read it for the fun. And maybe the mm -hmm. characters are a little too dark for that fun uh, for some people. I don't, that doesn't seem to be the reaction I'm getting, but I, I can't write the, those perfect characters. That, that doesn't interest me. And if I'm not interested, then the reader's not going to be interested. It's infectious when you're interested in what you're doing, you know? And so I, I firmly believe that at least I have to love what I'm writing so that it will come off the page that way to others. So, you know, I, 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 I made a very conscious decision to that these people would have plenty of flaws and that they needed to ultimately for the plot to work. I, I will say this, I, I downscaled Simon a little bit. Oh. Um, my first draft, he was a little less likable, I would say. <laughs> um, you know, like somebody said to me, um, who I know lives in, in my town, and she grew up on the south side of Chicago, if that makes a difference. And she said, I didn't like Simon for most of the book. And I said, why? And she said, because what grown man writes a journal? And I thought, <laughs> but then you got to the end, right? And she said, yeah. And so now he was okay. So, I mean, you I'm try not to give anything away, but 
Um, but that's the problem. I mean, if I made him unlikable for 80% of the book, then did I do something wrong? I mean, it's a choice I made. As you guys well know, there's no right or wrong anyways. Um, But that's who I am. I mean, that's what I'm always going to do. I'm never going to write someone who everyone just loves and roots for. There's going to be a split verdict. Well, I think something that you said when you said about like reading deeper, I think it's also because some people are not quite as they don't go quite as deep into their characters. So they, you know, they just touch that surface. Oh, they're evil or, oh, they're whatever, you know, and, and you never really see that they could have. And so that's how we can even like the bad guys, you know, I think of the Jack Reacher character. So I, I've, I've known Lee Child since we kind of broke into the business together with the same editor. Uh, one of us has been a little more successful than the other. <laughs> but um, he's a, he, and, and I love the guy. I love him. And he created this brilliant character. He said, yeah, I wanted to create a character that men admired and women wanted. Mm. And he did. He did. Um, having said that, and I love his books. Uh, I haven't read the new ones that his brother has started doing. I hear they're very good. Uh, I, I will read them. But I could not write that character. That character would not work for me because that Uh character, Jack Reacher, has virtually no flaws. He's fun to spend time with, but those aren't my kind of books. Those aren't the books I write. Uh I'll read them. Uh I I would not do that well, and I wouldn't enjoy it. I like dark, creepy characters. I like like that in the other books I read when I'm watching a show. I, I love it when I've got these characters that are, you know, have a lot of, uh, you know, darkness to them, a lot of complexity to them. So, and I'm sure Lee would, and I'm not criticizing his books at all. I love his books, actually. And yeah. I'm really happy for the success. Mm-hmm. But, the, but that's a whole different way of, of approaching it. And uh, maybe his is a more commercially successful one. But, but this is who I am, and this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. So, Kathy, do you think it's time for the uh, question in the bottle? Okay. <laughs> okay. So this would be the question that you would have when you get to the bottom of the bottle. Okay. So which one of the seven dwarves are you most like? Uh, grumpy. <laughs> I'm the most like. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, 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 I can be very, my, my family would say grumpy. That would be the answer. I, I get moody and I get particularly moody when I did not have a good writing day. So I, I write, you know, I'm mm. a judge during the day. And, and if you didn't know that, by the way, my title is here on the, the corner of my screen. I forgot to take it off. I'm sorry. Justice this, David this, is, this is the Zoom that I That's use okay. for court oral arguments. And I don't, I guess if I really tried, I could change this, but I don't, I, I don't, I just leave it. So it says Justice David Ellis, whatever. But, um, you know, <laughs> right. So, so first thing in the morning, I get up about 3.30 in the morning and I, and I write books till about seven. And if I've had a bad writing experience, I'll be moody and my wife will notice it, that how I'm acting, and she'll say, bad writing day, Dave. <laughs> or if I'm kind of giddy and happy while I'm getting lunches together in the morning for the kids, she'll be like, I take it you had a good writing day. It really it really affects me. Oh, mood. my gosh. I'm wondering what the lawyers in your courtroom are wondering when you come in. <laughs> They're like, uh-oh, it was a bad writing day. <laughs> <laughs> I hope the judge had a good writing day before he sentences me. No, yeah. I don't sentence yeah. people. I'm an appeals court judge. So. Is he happy or grumpy today? Which of the dwarfs? <laughs> That's awesome. How about you, Christy? What would you What would you be described as? I'm curious. Oh, I can be any time of the day. I can be a different one. <laughs> 
There is there one like um, split personality. I would say I'm pretty happy <laughs> most of the time, but other people around me might think I'm pretty grumpy. And then when I have an allergy attack, I'm sneezy. And I'm in, when I'm up reading David's book all night, then I'm sleepy. So we got it. I'm just not. I'm just not Doc, and I'm hopefully not dopey. <laughs> All right, your turn, Kathy. Which one are you? I don't. I um. I guarantee you would depend who you'd ask, <laughs> and I don't even want to know some of the answers. I was just thinking my employees versus my family. Um, I'm gonna say I, I aspire to be happy, but I'm right now sneezy since I'm having a little bit of a attack here with my allergies. Um. Okay, so uh, you mentioned three thirty in the morning, and that warms my heart because I'm a. I'm a four o'clock girl as well. Yeah, she gets up that early too. I don't get, I, I'm an early riser, but I, I confess I'm not that early. So. Oh, I love the early morning. I love it. Yeah, me too. I love it. And- it it's, it's, it's like vacation every morning when I get up. I just have to actually get up. I sometimes, you know, hit the snooze a few times mm-hmm. and don't get up. But when I can do it, it's, which is most of the time, it's, it's great. I mean, once you, your eyes are open, you're actually sitting up, you're like, I've got several hours to go play. You know? I know. And don't you feel like you just got like a leg on the day? Like you're like, what time do you go to bed? Yeah. I mean, I, tr- you know, I, my kids are, are 10, 12 and 15. So oh, I'm at that age. Wow. Like my 15 year old is up to me. She's a sophomore in high school, just starting. So she, she goes to bed way after me. I try to stay up long enough to at least put my kids to bed. Uh, 10 30, maybe 11. Oh, wow. And it's, it, Kathy's like, yeah, I'm, no, I, I'm, I'm like 10, but I go all the way to no, six. I'm, I'm, nine, you know, so. I'm like 930. I mean, I, I it, it's not, I don't even, I don't even try anything after <laughs> eight, eight o'clock at night. Like I'm just useless. Yeah. Yeah. I know it, it gets hard after yeah. dinner. I really start to hit fade. I really yeah. Do. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about your writing history um, that led you up to look closer. So you have written double digit books now, right? You've um, written your own novels, you write with James Patterson, um, and you you are an attorney appointed to the bench. So you have a, a demanding career, obviously you get up at 3.30 in the morning. I am wondering what advice you would give to other writers who are balancing multiple careers. You have to make writing a priority, which you can only do if you really want to do it. Uh, So you have to really want it, which I always did. Once I made the decision when I was like a third year lawyer that I wanted to write a book, um, I committed to it. And I wrote sometimes no more than an hour a night. Um, In fact, most of the time I was at a big downtown Chicago law firm billing all those hours. I would, but I would always say at least one hour a night, at least one, maybe two if I were lucky, uh, just to squeeze it in. You, you have to, you have to make it a priority. You can't just say, well, I'll write when I get it, when when I have a chance. And you can't be afraid of, of having writer's block. You can't be afraid of writing bad stuff. Anything that you write that is bad is a prelude to getting better. It's just like lifting weights and you can only, you know, curl 20 pounds with your biceps, but the more you curl those 20 pounds, the easier, a few years later, you're going to be curling 40 pounds. It's all those failures are not as as good moments that lead the build the muscles for the better moments so don't be afraid to write badly uh, i wrote badly i wrote horribly my first book the beginning of line of vision which again you know won the edgar ultimately but 
the beginning of line of vision was awful. And, but I kept at it and I said, this isn't good enough, but keep going. And then I rewrote it and I rewrote it. I rewrote it four or five times. I'm saying from start to finish, I started with the third person past tense. It ended up being first person present tense. Um, I had multiple points of view. I changed it to one point of view. I, I just kept, but I just kept doing it. I never stopped. Persistence is the most important goal that if you want to be a published author, there's nothing that comes close to persistence. And if there's one thing I'm proudest of, it's that first book that I saw it all the way through. You know, I, I, I took three years at least to write it, having no training as a writer. And then I took 18 months to find an agent, but I kept sending letters to the agents because I sometimes I'd send a different letter to the same agent again. Um, because back then they would just take a cover letter from me. That was all, you know, in, in the late nineties, you reached out to literary agents, not by email because there was no email. You mailed them a cover letter and you wow. could have written the best book since war and peace, right? You could have the next to kill a mockingbird on your, on your desk, but they just want to read the one page description. And if that one page is no good, they'll never even look at the book. So I had to fight through all that and check the mailbox every day and have disappointment after disappointment. But I, I kept going. I rewrote my cover letter. And, you know, the rest is history. It finally worked out for me. But I just would not take no for an answer. And, and those are the people who are going to make it. Wow. Mm -hmm. Persistence. Yeah. Very inspiring. Scott Rowe has a line in one of his books called Pleading Guilty. I literally know his books well enough that I can quote from them. Um, <laughs> all of life is will. Wow. It's a great line. And that's exactly what I think about life. It, it is. Um, I'm inspired right answer? now. I'm sorry. I got to go. Got to go right right now. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> I drink my oh, yeah, wow. I will drink too. So, so we mentioned um, James Patterson in there. Like, how did you end up um, writing with him? That's well, Jim was struggling and I thought I'd throw him a bone. <laughs> the poor guy. Not selling books. It's just not good. Right, the poor guy. No. So, um, well, I keep mentioning my first book, Line of Vision, but when I wrote Line of Vision, I was a nobody. And so what you do when you're a nobody, and, and actually I still do it today, um, you, you send it out to big time authors to see if they'll give you a blurb. So we sent it to a bunch of them, one of whom was James Patterson, who even back then in like the late nineties was one of the, the kingpins, right? He was one of the, the biggest and he loved line of vision. He flipped over it and he wrote a really nice blurb. And back then there were four big bookstores in Manhattan alone. There were four brick and mortar mystery bookstores dedicated just to mysteries. Can you imagine that in today's yeah. world? And so I no, oh man. Yeah, right. And so one of the things I did, you know, my, my <coughs> publisher is Penguins or downtown, you know, they're in Manhattan, is they said, we're going to send you to the four big mystery bookstores and sign copies. And every one I went to, they'll say, Oh, you know who was just here? Jim Patterson was just here. He was saying how much he loves your book. And but that's the way Jim is. If he loves something, he, he won't stop talking. Oh my about god. It. Oh my god. It. All wow. right. So fast forward to the year about 2005. And I have just, I've been writing for six or eight years. I've just changed literary agents. And my new literary agent used to be a publisher. He was the publisher of Warner Books, which is the parent company that publishes uh, Jim, which is Little Brown. So Jim, obviously, if you're a, the publisher of James Patterson, you know James Patterson pretty well and you're friends with him. 
you'd be an idiot not to be friends with him because he's your biggest guy. <laughs> they were buddies and they would go to lunch a few times a year. And so when Larry, my new agent, was just breaking into the, the new job, he had lunch with Jim and they talked about, oh, how's the literary agent business? Who are your clients? He mentions my name. Jim says, I know Dave Ellis. He wrote Line of Vision. And he starts talking about it. And this is like, you know, six years after the book came out. But that's Jim. He's got wow. a crap for stuff he likes. Next thing I know, Larry's calling me. He says, do you want to co, you know how Pat, James Patterson does these, has these co-authors he's starting to do? And I said, yeah, of course I know. He said, would you like to be one? And I would imagine what you would say is my first reaction ought to be, hell yes, I want to. Where do I sign up? <laughs> yeah. But I am my mother's son. And my first reaction was um, hesitation because I didn't want to screw it up. Oh. And I thought, can I do this? Wow. I don't really write the same kinds of books. I mean, maybe in a general sense, kind of commercial fiction suspense, but our styles are very different. And I said, Larry, I, you know, I don't know if I'm the guy for this. I mean, I, it sounds awesome, but I'm not sure I'm the guy. So he said two things for me. First of all, he said, don't be an idiot, <laughs> which was good advice. Probably good advice. <laughs> the second was call him. He said, just call Jim and talk to him and you'll see. He's, he's a great guy. So I called Jim. I'm all nervous, right? I'm calling James Patterson, right? The James Patterson. And he's like the most laid back guy ever. Right? He's so, he's so cool and chill. And, um, and so I said, Jim, uh, look, I'm, I'm super flattered. You'd consider me, but here's the thing. I don't know that I know how to write a James Patterson book and I don't want to, you know, sign up for this and then screw it up or something. And he said, listen, I don't want you to write a James Patterson book. I want you to write a James Patterson, David Ellis book. This is a combination of our skill sets. Wow. I picked you because I know your skill set. I like it. I think it's a good blend. I've got other co-authors who are going to write differently than you. And that's another fresh book. So I can produce multiple books at a time that are fresh and different. And I thought that is such a cool answer, right? Like, how can I say no to that? Right. So right. And the rest has been history. I mean, the guy, it, I guess technically you'd say he's my boss. I mean, certainly in the hierarchy, he's above me, but he never acts like that. You know, wow. I mean, he, it's a total collaboration. It's always about, you know, what's the best thing for the book, not whose idea was it. So I'll, I'll tell you briefly how it works. Yeah. I don't want to filibuster, but yeah, everybody I'm, curious. No, I love, I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, every, it's the first question I get it. No matter what I could be at like a yeah. judicial conference talking about opinion writing. Cause I do that a lot. And then I'll say any questions. And the first question, James what's Patterson. James Patterson like? Is he a nice guy? Like, but you know, we do talk to a lot of co-authors or people who have co-authored together. And we're, we're constantly fascinated by the process because there's as many processes to co-authoring as there are to how people write a book. So I can see why everyone's mm -hmm. interested. No, you're absolutely, there are so many different, there's so many different ways to write a book. You can outline, you can go by the seat of your pants, you can do yeah. some hybrid. So with Jim, it begins with an outline that he creates and he thinks of every chapter as a scene. He kind of thinks of it like a book, like a movie, I'm sorry, like every, uh -huh. every scene, mm -hmm. but he will actually title them chapter one, chapter two. And for each chapter, he'll have a few lines of what he wants in this chapter. And there might, there will be some factual narrative. You know, I want you know, this event is going to happen, but he'll also say, 
maybe, you know, I want this scene to be really this. I want this to be a heartbreaking scene. I want this to be really tender, really scary. Uh, we're gonna need some research here to make it really authentic. You know, he'll write little kind of crib notes. So that's kind of the director's direction uh, to begin the book. And it'll be chapter one through like a hundred, right? Like, cause that's a, you know, he has these short chapters. Wow. About a hundred chapters in a book usually. Um, and so then he'll show it to me and say, what do you think? And if I have changes, I'll, I'll, I'll say it and we'll talk about it. Um, and then we begin the process of writing. I will write about four or five chapters at a time um, and send it to him. And he will read it much like a director would watch me act out a scene. And he might say, great, awesome. This is just what I wanted. Keep going. Or he might say, okay, Dave, let's talk about this. Chapter two, I think maybe we lost the thread here. I think the pace needs to pick up. Uh, I'm losing the voice. Um, this part, I wasn't doing it for me, you know, or can we, can we tighten up the writing here? Or, you know, I always know I'm in trouble when he begins by saying, there's no more tension oh, here. No, absolutely. <laughs> in fact, that's a very common one. That's, that's one of the most common ones is I need more tension because that's what these books are all about. Um, I always know I'm in trouble when he says, this was really well written. If he begins his business <laughs> that way, it ends with, but, you know, enough. Uh, enough about the law. I know you're a lawyer. We get it. We know you have yeah. a lot to say about the law, but let's keep, let's not lose the pace. Let's not lose, you know. He, uh, and, and it kind of proceeds that way. Um, he knows that the way, my, I'm sure he knows by now the way my mind works. So I will have ideas midway through the book and I might change it. One of the books we did together, midway through the book, I called him and I said, look, I have a completely different idea for this. What do you think? And his reaction, which knowing him as well as I do now is not surprising, was if it's cool, if it works, awesome. I don't Because it's all about the book. What's good for the book? All about the book. This mm -hmm. is going to be awesome. Fine. He was actually skeptical of that. He said, yeah, I'm not so sure it's going to work, but you know what? Give it a shot. If it's no good, go back to the outline. But if it's, if it's good, hey, cool, you know, let's keep going. And uh, I've done that a few times with him where I've made one in particular, I made a lot of changes to, but again, still sending him just a little bit at a time. I always say, you know, you're keeping me on a leash, you know, uh, he would not, he would not use that metaphor. He doesn't, it's, it's really a true <laughs> collaboration. You know, when you guys are writing. It's like a director. It sounds like a director of a movie. Very I mean, much is. And, he reserves the right to jump in and be the actor too, but usually we're on enough of a, the same wavelength where I can get what he wants. And sometimes it'll take me three tries to do it, but he will, um, you know, he has definitely taught me that it's all about the reader. He always says, we're not here to win awards. We're, you know, he's, he won the Edgar for best first novel too, actually, um, way back when he started. But he said, you know, I don't care about awards. I care about, I've made a promise to the reader. And they, they're expecting something from me. And wow. yeah, my different co-authors will do different stuff. J.D. Barker will do Supernatural. And, you know, Jim Bourne will do the Michael Bennett series. I do some different stuff, he said. But but they're all, at, at their core, going to be the same. Very tight chapters, 1,200 mm -hmm. words or less. Um, you know, with some big emotion in each scene. Wow. He's always really big on don't waste a scene. Don't waste chapters. And, you know... I know that sounds totally obvious, right? You say yeah. that, never, yeah, no kidding. But it it really is important because I, I've caught myself sometimes, I, I will have a couple of big plot points 
and I might call those islands, but I need some stepping stones in between those islands. And maybe those chapters are not the most exciting. And Jim would say, no, make them exciting too. Like wow. find a way to make them, don't, don't have any scenes that are lame. And, and so I think about that. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time to really kind of have that sink in, but I think about like my favorite movies, right? And we all have our favorites, not the Academy Award winners. Maybe they, maybe they won Academy Awards, but yeah. that's not why you love them. Like they're just your personal favorite movies. If you were, you know, dying tomorrow and you could watch one movie, what would it be? And I've got my list. And when I think of those movies, there is no scene in those movies that I don't enjoy. Mm. I can pick it up in the middle and say, oh, mm-hmm. this is a cool scene. Oh, and the next scene's really cool too. They don't waste any. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's what he tries to do with every book. And that's what I, that's what I try to do. Wow. Yeah. It sounds yeah. elementary, right? But it's actually pretty hard. But it's, it's, uh, it's yeah, about, I, I love this. Yeah. It reminds me of your answer about advice for other writers is persistence. Like it's so obvious, but it's, it's, it's really hard to do. Yeah. Too. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Don't, don't waste what's that line that Elroy Leonard had something like um, they said, what's the secret to good writing? And he says, I, I, I cut out the parts that people don't want to read. Right. Also sounds easy. Not so easy. Always. No, I can't. I'm amazed. I love it. I love this conversation. It's been so fun yes. before yes. we go. Christy has one more question. Yeah. Okay. Yes. We, um, we like to ask this of all the authors. So which of your characters would you like to share a meal with and what would it be? What would the meal be? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to, <laughs> <laughs> I would like to share a meal with Vicki. Oh, Vicki is my personal favorite character in the book. Um, mm-hmm. She is, you know, I don't want to say too much, kind of the <laughs> ultimate bad girl. Um, I, I have been a very law abiding and, um, seemingly normal human being my whole life. And I, I married a very sweet and kind Minnesota girl. And, um, I would probably never have dated somebody like Vicky, but I might have secretly wanted to, <laughs> um, to be your one chance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's, she's sexy. She's devious. She's underappreciated, which I always love mm-hmm, in a female mm-hmm. character because women are so undervalued in so many different ways in this world. And so I, both of my main female characters in this book are undervalued. The, the, the police officer, mm-hmm, and she's mm-hmm. a cop in a small town that's never had a murder before. She's underestimated, but she's pretty damn smart. Yeah, smart she's pretty awesome. Else. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, which was really fun for me to do. She would be my number two. The two women would be my two favorites. But Vicky in a landslide, she is such a complicated person. Um, I would, I have no idea what we would eat. And I probably <laughs> would lose my appetite. I'd probably be so consumed with just talking to her. Uh, probably we drink, okay? I'll there you go. Okay, drink. there you go. Drink, drink your dinner. <laughs> I would drink martinis and I don't, or, or and of course. Bar nut, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so when our listeners want to find more information about you and your books, where should they go? Oh, thanks. Um, My website is my name, davidellis.com. Author David Ellis or David Ellis Author will get you to my Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. 
I really don't, um, I, I, I really have gotten to dislike social media, except when it comes to the book world. The world of books on social media is so fun. The bookstagrammers on Instagram are crazy cool. Yeah. Like I, want, I want to build an island of bookstagrammers. Uh, and move to it. Um, it's so infectious. They're all always talking about <laughs> these thrillers. And it's so positive. It's like the only place of social media that's positive, I feel like. You know, like, yeah. it's like, hey, have you read this great book? And I don't even see that much of people bashing books they don't like, except for on TikTok. I've seen that on TikTok a little bit, and I don't love that. Like, Christy and I have kind of a a belief, like, if you if you have a bad review, just keep it to yourself, right? Like, why, why mm-hmm. give a, a negative review? And um, so I love that you've noticed that, though, that, that it's a great place. Oh my gosh. Uh, Instagram. I just, I, I wasn't even on Instagram a year ago and, no. and my publisher and my, I guess I'm going to have to go on it. Cause Kathy does our Instagram. I do, I do Twitter and Twitter can get a little bit See, like go like down Twitter a hole sometimes. Yeah, That's not my jam. T- Twitter has not been my jam lately either. No. I have not really enjoyed it. Facebook is kind of my main thing, but Instagram is, you know, because Facebook can get pretty toxic too. Yeah. And, um, but just mm-hmm. talking about books, and, you know, what have you read and reading reviews? It's so much fun. So, Isn't that, that's so great. yeah, so I, that's yeah. been great because that's keeping me on social media. I almost only want to do that now. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I'm a judge, so I can't <laughs> talk about public policy questions, even if I wanted to. Right. You know, I can't tell you what I think of the Supreme Court overturning the Dobbs decision. I mean, both because I'm a judge and because I'm an author and I probably shouldn't polarize people. Um Mm-hmm. So I, I, I kind of have to keep my mouth shut about all that stuff anyways. And, and it's hard to watch other people talk about those things and not be able to comment. So I, um, it's frustrating, but um, the book world has yes. just yes. brought sunlight into a dark world. Oh, you know, what? that's a great place to end. Cause you started so positively, like what joy you bring to your writing career. And, and it's just a great place for us to wrap up. I don't think he's grumpy at all. No, I don't either. Happy. I think you're wrong. <laughs> Exactly. The wine helped. Well, the wine helped. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's really all, you know, I we could talk all night. We're going to we're gonna, probably going to corner you at BoucherCon. We'll but see you at um, but <laughs> in the meantime, I guess let's say cheers to cheers. Look Closer and David Ellis. You guys are great and definitely look me up at BoucherCon. We'd love to see you there. Yeah, we will. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can watch and listen. On gameofbookspodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter and enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you that we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers.